It's the Real Estate Podcast, brought to you by ANZ Home Loans for financial well-beings. And welcome back to another episode of the Real Estate Breakfast, available on iHeartRadio every morning and also on Spotify and Apple, and of course, wherever you get your podcast from. It is the weekend, we're up to a Sunday morning, hope your weekend is going well so far, despite whatever you're doing in and around the property market. It is the 20th day for November for 2022 and coming up we've got the Sunday Rewind and we're going to be looking back over some of the interviews, some of the guests that we've spoken to over the last seven days including Mike McCarthy. He's the CEO at Barry Plant to talk about the state of the property market there in Melbourne. Also we catch up with economist Asti Mariasmo from PRD. This is a really interesting one because we spoke about how you can save money buying a property by cutting out a single bedroom. So changing from a four bedroom to a three bedroom, the numbers are huge in terms of what you'll save, over $300,000. So that is coming up. We also talked to Jackie Wang in Sydney about Ashfield, about how people are downsizing. This is also interesting from mansions to buy into Ashfield. And we catch up with Mike Hayson from Cobden Hayson. We are talking particularly about the current rental returns and yields, which are both strong and unrelenting at the moment. And the softer property market continues to attract and draw in more investors. And we finish up with Rich Harvey looking at Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago property and get some of the numbers to find its true value and define what sort of an investment that has been for the Donald. So that is all coming up next with the Sunday Rewind. We talk with leading property commentators with analysis, predictions, forecasts and what's trending every morning from 6.30. It's your real estate weekend podcast in review. Bit of a lack of stock at the moment, but some really good results coming through, I believe, at the weekend. Yeah, look, very interesting market down here at the moment, Craig. We've had really strong auction numbers, not not compared to last year. We're certainly down on last year, but stronger, I think, than anyone was expecting. Of course, Melbourne being the auction capital, not just of Australia, but of the world, Craig. Um, <laughs> and we, we have to, got to get a plug in there. We're actually seeing some really interesting results. And I can tell you on the weekend, uh, we had a 76% clearance rate across the group, and that's measuring all auctions for us. And we're about a 10% snapshot of the Melbourne market. So it's not a bad indication of how the market's traveling. And it's not across the board, but uh, we're certainly seeing good results if agents and vendors are prepared to go into the auction ready to, to get a sale done. And uh, that's, that's pretty promising at the moment. And yesterday we were talking about this very aspect of dropping off a bedroom from a four-bedroom house down to a three-bedroom house. Over $300,000 you're going to save in Sydney, some staggering numbers. And there's also something we didn't pick up on yesterday, and I just wanted to ask you about this, the premium on a two-bedroom house as opposed to a two-bedroom unit. That's really starting to come through now. Yes, look, it's it's not surprising in some respects when you really think it through, because often the two-bedroom unit is part of a larger complex. It might be two or three units, maybe even more. And so, you know, small courtyard in a lot of cases, common driveway, et cetera, et cetera. Where 
whereas a two-bedroom house is usually going to be attached to more land, uh, whether it's a, a completely detached house or a semi-detached, it's going to have more land with it generally than a two-bedroom unit. And as we all know, the underlying value of the property is really in the land. So with some land around it, then obviously that presents a lot of scope then to develop it, further improve it and add value to it. So it doesn't surprise me that we're seeing those big differences between a two-bedroom house and a two-bedroom unit, to be honest. It's your Real Estate Weekend Podcast in Review. It's a huge saving uh, in Sydney, people making this money just by cutting off a bedroom. I know, right? I mean, 335000 Um, That's almost another house if you were going to um, regional areas in New South Wales or Queensland or Victoria. It's a lot. Like, like, this really did surprise me. It shouldn't surprise me given the current market that we live in. It is still a staggering figure because even though we know that the markets have gone completely bonkers in the past um, 24 months or so, although, you know, there has been a a bit of a slowing down because of the cash rate going up, the market is still fairly strong. You know, a 335,000 savings would really mean a lot when it comes to mortgage repayments and how much debt that you are committing. I guess it also really does depend on the flexibility of the buyer, just how much they can flex. In this case, I think if somebody's told, look, you can save 335000 in Sydney, I think a lot of people won't realise just how much money they could save. The more flexible they are, the more money they'll save. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, when it comes to a buyer's demand profile, it really depends on how elastic, which is, you know, the flexibility or how inelastic, which is inflexible that you are. We do see buyers who, you know, are very set in terms of, look, we've got X number of kids. We need to definitely have the four bedrooms. And normally with a a four bedroom house, you also have obviously more substantial land as well. So in terms of the land, that you get and perhaps the um, backyard that you have because you're not quite flexible on where the house needs to be. So for example, if it needs to be near a school or a particular hospital, it could be the only type of house that you have in that particular suburb. You know, the flexibility does come into it, but I wouldn't be surprised if someone knows that they could save more than $300,000 that they could be becoming more flexible than before. Yeah, and I think the other point to make here is that if you are buying a freestanding house with a bit of land, you can always add to the property. So if you're grabbing that three-bedroom house, it's in the right school zone, you know, two years down the track, three years down the track, you can do that little extension when hopefully things have gotten you back onto a little bit more of an even keel financially. For sure. I mean, you know, the good thing about these sort of savings is that you can almost bank it away for later. Right now, of course, we know that there is construction challenges, but if you can bank it for later and you do do it in the next three or four years, we have seen that some supply chains have improved. And so, you know, the chances are definitely there. But I think in terms of on the very first off purchasing power wise and also the amount of deposit that you need to have ready for your home, this can be a real saving. Enjoy your morning coffee. It's your real estate weekend podcast in review. What seems to be the common roadblock or a bit of a problem that buyers are facing right now? 
now that you're experiencing? Well, I think the biggest talk is still the interest rate. I mean, like it's going up every month. A lot of people tend to kind of like wait until it's stabilised. A lot of people are thinking, oh, next year the property price is going to go down for another 10, 20%. So there's no rush to buy anything at this point of time. The other common things we think is there's a shortage of stock. Yeah, so some of the reasonably nice properties gets really stand out and getting really big money. And Jackie, last time we spoke, we talked about the Ashfield gentrification because the area really has gone through that. I'm just curious about what, since we last spoke, has happened, particularly with people buying into the area for that very reason. We actually saw lots of downsizes and start to explore Ashfield as their home. So last time we sold a couple of um, ground floor units, of course, prestige ones with large courtyard and then, uh, you know, offers lifestyle to people that who sold their mansion in Hunters Hill, Ulara. They might um, use the money to buy a small property in Ashfield and also buy a, a large farm or large mansion in some of the coastal cities. So use Ashfield as their city Sydney-based home. So uh, it's very interesting. It's, it's kind of like helping pushing up the prestige property price in Ashfield. Wow, that is so interesting. I haven't heard of that before. So somebody living in a Willara has sold up, they've bought their home to live in while they're in Sydney, they're in Ashfield, and they've got a second property, you're saying, and they've gone to a regional area. Correct, correct. I think that's the pattern. So sell their mansion in Sydney, like prestige suburbs, and buy a smaller home, which they want to explore or they want to leave for the rest of the life, and also spending more time in a farm or in a coastal home. It's your Real Estate Weekend podcast in review. More investors, they are becoming active in the property market. And I guess one of the drivers for that is no doubt right now where those yields are sitting. Yeah, indeed. Look, that's one of the big things that we've seen. And, and obviously, we, you know, most rentals across the globe were smashed after the COVID period and there was a lot of rent reliefs and lots of things like that going on. So what we've seen in recent times and probably gathering quite a bit of momentum, which is interesting, isn't it, with interest rates rising, you would expect, and you know, generally the cost of living and everything like that, which we keep hearing about soaring, you'd think people would be like, look, trying to hold back on wanting to lift rents just to keep their tenants in place. But we're actually seeing quite the opposite. We're seeing some of the fastest and most aggressive rental growth that We've seen, and I've been doing this for 26 years in our local markets, probably the fastest rate of growth I've seen from a rental perspective um, that I've seen in that time period. And as a result of that, yeah, investors are starting to see yields return to some level that maybe 15, you know, a decade to 15 years ago used to be the norm where, you know, it wasn't that long ago. Well, maybe it is, I'm showing my age here, where, where we used to, you know, sell a property for $500,000 and you could almost say, oh, we'll get $500 a week. Those days were long gone and we hadn't seen them for many, many a year. But all of a sudden, we're starting to see things like, you know, you sell a property for a million and you're starting to get $1,100 a week rent. So those yields are starting to improve, which is, um, you know, from an investor's perspective is quite, quite attractive. Yeah, so I guess that's one half of it, having a look at the the rental yields. And the softening market, of course, is the other half of the equation for investors. 
Big time. And haven't we seen that shift in the last six months as well? Again, probably the most dramatic decline in um, or downward pressure I've seen actually on real estate values. Again, in that, you know, close to 25 plus years of real estate, it's just been so rapid. And, and you have to, you know, kind of understand why you're just seeing such a, a sharp increase in interest rates. And typically, you know, for our investor or buyer around these parts, if they could borrow a million dollars in February, they're down to borrowing capacity down to around 600 thousand, five hundred thousand, even in some cases. So, you know, you're seeing 40, 50% smashed off their borrowing capacity. And that's just naturally flowing through to what people are offering on properties. So again, this is what's starting to bring investors back into the market, particularly for residential, where they're starting to see the yields improve, their buying power and what they could get in terms of bang for buck is improving. So again, the quality of the assets which are now available. So what we're starting to see in this market is real values lifting to the surface. And again, as an investor, it's important to kind of keep your eye on that because some of these markets which you were previously locked out of are all of a sudden opening up again. For sure. And the the yields, I mean, the rental yields, it's hard to know when the rental yields are actually going to slow down. So what about the dreaded interest rates and inflation? Because the investors recognise what is going on, but want to remain active, I think, probably over the next six months at least. Yeah, look, indeed. And look, any I think anybody that's investing in real estate, hopefully they're getting pretty astute advice from their mortgage broker or bank or even financial advisor that would suggest to them to say, look, the the chances are you'd want to be factoring in that the cash rate could lift another percent here in, in Australia. And therefore, can you absorb those costs? And then as we know here in Australia, APRA has got their um, net another 3% on top of that in terms of you know stress testing somebody's borrowing capacity. So you know if you can factor those into your costs and then still make an astute investment decision, then you're probably going to be pretty safe. Now, where interest rates rise, I think it was even on the radio here in Sydney today that the RBA have come out and said, we're no longer going to provide any more predictions about interest rates because they've been had such a horrible run of giving people advice and people have made really poor decisions based on, you know, it was only a year ago when you had the, you know, our head of RBA coming out and telling people that interest rates weren't going to go up until 2024 and people went and made and borrowed big on those kind of promises and, you know, now they're finding themselves in some hot water um, mm-hmm. based on how quickly they've flipped the switch on that. From an investor's perspective, I think it's just being level-headed, being sensible, make sure that you've got your finance in place, add a little bit of fat in to it because we do know that the cash rate's going to go up another, you know, half a percent, another percent maybe even. So as long as you can factor that in, you should be pretty safe. And a couple of days ago, Trump declared that he was running again. I don't think there was any great surprise here. In the 2024 US elections, he invited his adoring supporters to Mar-a-Lago, his residence there in Florida. And despite what you think of Trump, if you focus on this property, Mar-a-Lago, from an investment point of view, this property is probably turned out to be one of his best investments. Trump paid an estimated $10 million for it back in 1985. This year, of course, the Trump organisation touted its value at $500 million, probably a little bit inflated. Rich Harvey, you would probably love to have this in your portfolio. Well, anything that's a good money spinner like this, but I mean, this this club has got notoriety because Trump's involved. But from what I understand, he paid what ten million for it, and Forbes valued it at around three hundred and fifty. So that's like a thirty-five time return on investment. So I'd love a, an investment like that in my portfolio, absolutely. But I think it obviously gets a significant uplift simply because of Trump's notoriety and people wanting to rub shoulders with an ex-president. 
we connect you to the best real estate information across Australia. The Real Estate Podcast. Thank you.